Hello, Real Life Family. It's Pastor Tim with you. And today we're going to begin a new series on the book of Ephesians. So it's uh, today as we talk about Ephesians, we're going to look at chapter 1 and go through just what, what the, the history is of this letter and how much value that it has for you and for me. And uh, in this chapter, I'm really excited about talking about who we are in Christ. So let me do a quick introduction to you about the book of uh, Ephesians. It's in your Bible. It's a little letter that Paul wrote. So it's written by the Apostle Paul. We think he wrote it around 60 AD, probably when he was in uh, prison in Rome. And uh, he spent some time in Ephesus, uh, over two years actually, teaching in the town of Ephesus. Now Ephesus is in uh, modern-day Turkey. At the time, it was in a Roman province called Asia, and it's the western part of what today is Turkey. And uh, it was a, it's a very uh, big, important city during the time of Paul's uh, life and during the time of this letter. In fact, it was the most important city in western Asia Minor, and it was the fourth largest Roman city in the entire Roman Empire. It was a huge uh, populated, you know, commercial center because it had a, um, a harbor and it was uh, kind of on, on some major trade routes. So it had several hundred thousand people. It was really uh, ranked right up there with Rome, Corinth, Antioch, and Alexandria in terms of its fame and its size during its day. So it was one of the major cities of the world. Um, at this time that Paul is writing. And so uh, in a couple of famous things about it, one is that it held one of the ancient wonders of the world, one of the seven wonders of the world, and it was a temple uh, to Artemis, uh, a Greek goddess. And uh, it was just an amazing, I guess, an amazing temple that they had there in that city. They had a library. They had all kinds of, they had a big theater. Um, you can still see a lot of these ruins today. In fact, the theater is, is pretty, pretty uh, amazing if you look that up. Paul stayed there for, like I said, over two years as his base of ministry. And he, through that ministry, he evangelized the entire province of Asia there, uh, which is a, a great model of spreading the gospel. All that to say, the early church there in Ephesus flourished, and then over time, some false teachers came, and Paul put Timothy in charge of that, uh, that church in Ephesus, and Timothy, Timothy was working on uh, you know, trying to help that church overcome some of the false teachers. But the purpose of this letter that Paul has written and that we are going to study is um, most likely as a letter to be circulated to the many different churches in that area. Probably not just for the church at Ephesus, but probably a letter written with these beautiful Christian themes to spread throughout the area, because Paul was very familiar with that whole area. And, um, and so Paul is not addressing any particular problems in a church like he is in Corinth or uh, in some of the other letters that he writes, but he's taken a high view of God's purpose for the church and his grace toward the church, the people of God. And so the message in the book of Ephesians, if I was to summarize it, would be that God's grace toward us, the church, and his purpose for us, the church. The church is people, right? And so this is a great epistle, a great letter to encourage us in who we are in God 
and what God has called us to. That's why I want to study it with you together. This is a powerful, uh, it's just filled with powerful themes and reminders and truths and promises that we need to be walking in today. And so some of the questions that are, I think, answered in this epistle, not that Paul is asking these questions, but I think his material is answering these questions, just some questions I came up with, is with regards to salvation. Why do I need to be saved? How am I saved? What changes when I'm saved? I think these questions are kind of answered in, in, this, in, in this letter. How about purpose? What is God's purpose for me? What is God's purpose for the church? What is God's big plan for humanity? Paul answers some of those questions. And with regards to Christian living, how do I live differently than the world? If I'm a Christian, if I'm in Christ, how is my life different than someone else? Paul points that out. What does a Christian life look like? Paul gives us practical you know, truths and principles and morality to live by, right? And how do I view marriage? How do I treat my children? These are in this letter of Ephesians. And also church living. Why has God brought us together as a church? Why do we do church? Why are we the church? Why do people get together and worship God? Paul begins to address that. How are we to relate to one another in the church? How are we to, what kind of attitude do we have for one another? What kind of way do we treat each other? That's in this letter. How do I have a place in, do I have a place in the church? Do you have a place in the church? That's addressed. And what is my role in the church? So all these big ideas about um, who we are in God and why we're here is really addressed in this letter. That's why I think it's going to be so great for us to spend some time going through it systematically. In this letter, we have two powerful prayers that Paul prays over us. We have how to live as a Christian, how to live a Christian life, the purpose and structure of the church, how the church is meant to live and function together, uh, the power of prayer, and how each of us have gifts, and also the keys to spiritual warfare in chapter six. So we're all individually called to be reconciled to God, but then corporately. We're called to serve God's purposes. So let's start with chapter one. And this is kind of called by some the queen of the epistles. It is like um, the, the top letter that Paul wrote out of all the other smaller epistles or letters that he wrote in the Bible. And so this is a really important one. And it really kind of uh, paints a big picture of what God's plan is for your life and what God's plan is for and through the church. And so that's why we're going to study this, all right? So let's start with reading it together. Ephesians chapter 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul starts right out with a blessing. He blesses us with grace and peace. And I just want to just make a simple comment about that. Um, grace, receiving God's grace comes before we're able to live in his peace. And so the grace of God has come to all of us. And Paul says, grace and peace to you. But we know as believers that we need to cross over that line to receive God's grace. Then we accept and receive his peace. We can live in peace. So if you don't have a relationship with God right now, um, you're probably not living in peace. Um, but you can, and you can have peace, you can have hope, you can have uh, a different life when you accept the grace of God. And the grace of God is Jesus Christ. And so it is by faith, 
Ephesians says in chapter 2 we'll get to, that we are saved, not by anything that we do, not by any works that we do. We don't earn our salvation. We don't um, draw near to God on our own. But when we receive the grace of God, when we place our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we receive the grace of God, He brings peace into our lives. We are made uh, at peace with God, and we begin to be made at peace with one another, and God begins to put order to our chaos. Amen? So remember, when Paul says grace and peace to you, remember, we need to receive the grace before we can live in peace. And I hope that you have received the grace, and if not, you can receive that grace, that gift of grace today um, by placing your faith in Jesus. So anyway, that's verse 2. Verse 3 is one of my favorite verses, and it is the highlight of this first chapter. And I want you to challenge you to memorize this verse. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. And now we really get into um, what I want to do is describe the main emphasis of this chapter. It is this phrase, in Christ. Paul says, listen, God has, through Jesus Christ, blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And it's a very famous phrase that Paul uses, in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? And what are the benefits to a person who is in Christ? Well, this benefit right here says we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Now, in the heavenly realms, Paul says, we understand this to be, we have this earthly realm that we're living in, but then there's a heavenly realm or an unseen, uh, unseen portion of our existence that is also um, around us at all times. Uh, it's not like it's somewhere way out there, but the heavenly realm is the activity of spiritual beings, angels, demons, and God's, you know, handiwork. And it's not like it's super far away. It's around us. It's just unseen. It's not physical. It's spiritual. It's spiritual. So the Bible tells us, Jesus even told us to pray this way, right? Pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, where's heaven? Well, we see the, the Bible talking about heaven as a place where God is ruling and reigning. But we also get this sense of Jesus talking about how his kingdom isn't of this world, but it's active in this world, right? And so we have the kingdom of heaven really is all around us. It's the unseen spiritual activity going on. And so now Paul says in, that, in this realm here around us that we don't perceive, actually we have everything that we need that God has already blessed us and we need to access what is unseen and make it seen. We need to uh, believe what God says and understand the power and the authority that comes from the spiritual realm. Again, a reminder of things I've said many times, that everything we see physical came first from the spiritual. God is spirit. He created everything physical. Everything physical always comes from the spiritual. And so the, 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 the more powerful um, realm is not the physical realm, but the spiritual realm. And so Jesus says, access your spiritual blessings and pull them into um, the earth, pull them into the physical realm, right? And so Paul's like, hey, we got every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms all around us. 
the promises of God, and we need to pull those in to our reality. That's why I want you to meditate on this verse and memorize it. But this is the introduction to this phrase, in Christ, because these spiritual blessings are in Christ. That means if you're not in Christ, you don't have these spiritual blessings, right? To be in Christ means a person has trusted their life to Christ, and they have lost their old life, and they have found a new life in Christ through faith. It's what we call being born again. It's receiving the grace of God, placing our trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And as soon as you do that, as soon as you see your need for God, and you repent of running life on your own terms, and you give your life to Him, you become a Christian. You become born again. You are reconciled to God. Your sins are forgiven. And now you are in Christ. You are a new person, a new creation. And your old self and your old identity is now gone. And once you enter into this new identity in Christ, everything is accessible to you in God. It's all there. And now we start to learn who we are. And the Christian life is really catching up to the truth of who we already are in Jesus. And that's what this is all about. This whole chapter, in fact, Paul uses this phrase in all of his writings many times. Uh, I think I have it in your notes that Paul uses in Christo or in Christ 73 times. And he uses it in Cairo or in the Lord 45 times in his writing. So Paul uses this phrase over and over and over again, almost to keep saying to us, don't you know who you are? If you are in Christ, this is who you are. If you are in the Lord, this is what you do. This is how it looks now. This is who you are. This is your new identity. And so this is what today's message is. Christ is our new identity. Our new identity, our real identity, is in Jesus, in Him. And in the first 13 verses, Paul uses this phrase, in Christ, 10 times, right here in chapter 1. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And so we have everything that we need in Him. Ephesians 1.3 says that. And it reminds me, Peter said pretty much the same thing in 2 Peter 1.3. And he says, His divine power... God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Again, Peter is saying the same thing in his, own, in his own words. But in Christ means that we have all that we need um, that God's called us to do and to be. And so this really describes our salvation and our new identity. You are no longer um, those labels from the past. You know, we, this is probably one of the most powerful truths that a person can get um, straightened out in their life is how they view themselves. Because we've all failed, we've all been called names, we've all been given labels, we've all had our own failures, we've all um, tore ourselves down in the past because we, we didn't live up to our expectations maybe, or someone else's expectations, or what we thought we should be or do, and we've all fallen short. We've all, we've all experienced those hurts of the past, right? And what happens is sometimes a person can just believe that that's their real identity. But in Christ, the Bible says, challenges that idea and says, no, as soon as you come into Christ, all of that old um, stuff is gone and that doesn't define you anymore. What defines you, what identifies you, 
is who you are in Christ. And, and you and I, we need to make that decision to believe in our new identity, and believe in what God says about us. This will transform your life to be set free from all those lies that the enemy has tried to get you to listen to and buy into over your life and over your failures. But God has a different identity for you. When you are in Christ, you have a new identity. And so the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, Paul says this in 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. That's you. The old is gone. The new is here. So the Christian life is about taking that leap, um, believing God to change our past, to heal us from our past, and to cut off our past, and to walk into who he's called us to be. So if you are a Christian, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are in Christ, and you are redeemed in Christ. Look at this list. I have this in, in notes here, but... Romans 8.24 says we are redeemed in Christ. Romans 6.11 says we are made alive in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.4, Paul says we are recipients of God's grace in Christ. Romans 6.23 says we are heirs of eternal life in Christ. Romans 8.2, Paul says we are set free from the law of sin and death in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1.2, we are sanctified in Christ, made holy Romans 8, 39, we are inseparable from God's love in Christ. And Romans 12, 5 says, we are one body as a church in Christ. And of course, one of my favorites that I, I talk about all the time is 2 Corinthians 1, 20, where Paul says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so we say amen to the glory of God. And when we agree with God, that we are in Christ, and this is a promise in Christ for me, and we agree and we say amen, and, and we do that faith thing, then it becomes a reality for you and for me. It changes our lives, and it brings glory to God. God's cleaning us up. God's reorganizing our, our, our life. He is redeeming our life. He's making us new. He's purifying us. He's sanctifying us. He's redeeming us. He's changing us from the inside out. He's healing us. He's setting us free. And we are becoming more like Christ every day. That's the Christian life. Becoming like Christ. Becoming a disciple of Jesus. Becoming like Him. Following Him. Thinking like Him. Seeing like Him. Living like Him. That's the Christian life. That's what Ephesians is all about. This is who you are. You are no longer that old person. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You're in Him. You're in Him. You're in Him. Over and over and over again. Paul just keeps beating that drum. And I want to beat that drum with him because this changes our lives. We're not just trying to make it through. God is changing us. He's transforming us. And as we're changed and transformed, he's also empowering us to be that witness to others. As we've said recently, how Jesus calls us also the light of the world because his light is shining in us. He wants us to be transformed so that we're also part of the transforming team to transform this world through what God is doing in our life. And God wants to do great things in your life. And so it's believing in, in what God says about us and then walking into those realities. All right, I'm going to read some more of this uh, chapter for us and talk about it a little bit. Verse 4. For he... Now, I'm sorry, I want to say this one thing. Verse 3 all the way through verse... Um, 
14 in the Greek language is one sentence. <laughs> I don't think you could take a breath long enough and see, say this whole passage in one breath, but it is one sentence in the Greek language. So it's probably the longest run-on sentence that uh, you'll ever see. But in our Bible, of course, with English, you know, we, we, they broke it down into sentences for us. But Paul is just going on and on and on here. And he's giving thanks to God. He's giving thanks to uh, Jesus. And he's giving thanks to the Holy Spirit. So he goes and he's just hitting us with this is who we are. So just enjoy what Paul is saying. This is our new identity in him. He says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy, which means separated, set apart to God and blameless in his sight, which means that we are being forgiven and cleansed and we're acceptable in his sight. In love, he, the father, predestined us for adoption to sonship. So we are called to be a part of God's family through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will. God wants you in his family. He wills you to come home to him. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, now he talks about Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. It's the blood of Jesus that redeems us. Now, in the culture here of the time with slavery, to redeem someone, you had to pay a price, right? And so redemption was a common word to be used. Now, the redemption for us was not money, but it was blood. Because the only thing that can forgive sins is bloodshed. But the blood of animals is not equal to the blood of mankind. And so that never permanently solved the problem, even though for hundreds of years, the Israelites would sacrifice animal blood for their sins, as God instructed. But one would come, a human right? is son of God who fully became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus. He, he came without sin so that he could then offer his blood to cover my sin and your sin. That's the only way that we could be redeemed is through the blood of Jesus. And it is the grace of God and the love of God and the mercy of God that Jesus did this for you and for me. That's why we give all of our life to him. Because without him, we would have only death, right? And so it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth, under Christ. Now, Paul is talking about this big picture uh, will of God, that God is reconciling all of uh, his creation back to himself through the sacrifice of Jesus. There isn't one person God doesn't want to redeem and forgive and have return to his family. He wants to bring all of us back uh, under his loving care. He, he made us to be with us. And so that's his plan. In verse 11, it says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Aren't you glad about that? God can work everything out in conformity to his will. Even our mistakes, even our failures, God is big enough, wise enough. He has enough foresight to see. 
how he can bring everything to work towards his will. And his will is what we all want because his, his will will result in our life, our eternal life, our peace, our healing, our wholeness, right? God loves us. Probably he does even more than we love ourselves. And that's saying something. <laughs> that's saying something. So in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And then verse 13 and 14, Paul's talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, Paul says one of the other things that happens when a person is saved and places our faith in Christ, we are marked or given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the presence of God and the power of God to change our lives. Uh, just last week, someone, someone got saved in one of our services. And afterwards, as I was praying with this person, just the presence of God was uh, upon her. And I could just see just tears of joy and just the, the love of God touching her. The Holy Spirit was all over her. And it was real. And the Bible says that we, we are walking through the, the shadow of the valley of death. But the Bible says, Paul says here, but we have a guaranteed deposit from God himself. It's the Holy Spirit saying, listen, you are mine. You belong to me. And we, we have the Holy Spirit with us during this journey. God is with us to empower us, strengthen us, guide us, help us, counsel us throughout our journey, to guaranteeing that one day we will be fully in His presence in eternity with Him, without any more regrets or pain or sorrow or sin or darkness or death at all. It's the guarantee. It's the down payment the Holy Spirit in you and in me. When I was a kid, I used to put my name on my baseball glove. Uh, and that was my way of saying, this is mine, right? And if I misplaced it or someone else tried to take it, they would say, this belongs to Tim Hobson, right? This is his glove. I still have things with na my name on it, Frisbees and other things that we take things. Some people put their names on their coolers. Some, some ladies put their names or, or uh, you know, something on a, a pot or a plate or serving dishes or different things when they go to potlucks because it's like that says that's mine i got a mark on there well god has a mark on you when you get saved when you place your faith in him his mark on you is the holy spirit and that says to everybody else and to you you're mine god's saying you belong to me i'm with you you're mine we're together isn't that beautiful and so that ends the sentence there in verse 14. And so then Paul goes on and he, he, he says this in verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then he prays an amazing prayer. And I want to read through this prayer and just talk about it with you. Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We need God to open our eyes, our eyes of our understanding, right? And so Paul says, I'm praying that the, the spirit of God will give you a wisdom, revelation. Listen to this. Um, 
so that you may know him better. You know, the, the cry of our heart is to know God, to be drawing close to him. And we need the spirit to help us connect with God, to give us wisdom, revelation, insight, to see who God is, to know God. And so this is a great prayer, so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And we need to be living a life filled with hope. We need to know what God has in store for us. And we need to believe and live that hope out every single day. Hope is a powerful force in our lives, no matter what's going on around us. We can have all kinds of brokenness around us. We can have hurts. We can have challenges. But when there's hope, right, you persevere, you overcome, because you know this is not the end of the story. This is not all there is. I have hope. I know who I am. I know where I'm going. I know whose I am. I know what he's got for me. That's hope. And Paul says, man, I pray that the eyes of your heart just wake up to who you are and the hope that we have in him. He also says, and the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, the riches of what you are going to walk into one day. And it already started for you and for me. We're not just waiting for heaven to show up. Heaven is already showing up as we begin to access, right? The promises of God. But boy, is there, is there such a, a wonderment of what will happen someday, the riches of our inheritance. And he says, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So here's the prayer. Let me just summarize it. Paul is saying, man, I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to come upon you to give you wisdom and revelation so that you have hope, you understand how rich you are, and you understand the power that is within you through God, that you can be living a life right now, you know, um, in a personal relationship with God, filled with hope, accessing the promises of God, living richly in a way, right, and moving with power, now, Paul goes on to describe this power. He says that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. This power did this, take, took Christ far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Paul is saying the power that God used to raise Christ from the dead and elevate him to his right hand above all other powers, all other titles, all other names in heaven and earth. That power, it's in you right now. Wow. Resurrection power is in you right now, in Christ. Paul's praying that you see the power that God has entrusted to you through his Holy Spirit. In conjunction with his will, all things are possible. All things are possible. We're living in the spirit realm, not in the physical realm. In the spiritual realm, you have all the spiritual blessings. And in the spiritual realm, you have all the spiritual power to access and establish the kingdom of God on the earth. This is pretty incredible stuff. And God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And that's how chapter 1 ends. And we're starting to crack open now the role of the church. 
Paul is saying all of this about you and me as individuals, what God has done, how we are in Christ, how he's redeemed us, forgiven us. He's filled us with hope. He's, we've got a rich inheritance. We've got the same power. And then Paul starts to come down to this. And all of this is for a purpose. His body, the church, on the earth. And then we're going to see in the chapters to come, what does this body look like, you and me? Individuals redeemed by God, called by God, empowered by God, coming together under one, under one head, and that head is Jesus. Under Jesus, brought together his body for a grand purpose. And that's what we're going to be talking about as we move forward. And so I just want to summarize this message. When we come to Christ, we go through a leadership change. <laughs> we go from being under the power of Satan to being under the power of Jesus. Our leader in sin is Satan, but when we are redeemed, our leader becomes Jesus, the Son of God. When we come to Christ, we go through a power change. We come from slavery. Now we are empowered to be a ruler on the earth in God's image. That's a pretty big change. When we come to Christ, we go through a status change. We go from death to life, from estranged with God to adopted into his family, from lost to found, from blind to see, <laughs> and from cursed to blessed. So how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? When you see yourself in Christ, you're walking in your new identity. But when you see yourself in sin, you're walking in your old identity. And one of the greatest changes that you can experience in your life is when you get serious about believing this phrase in Christ. When you get serious about believing what God says about you as a new creation in Him, and you let Him convince you and change your mind about the old is gone and the new has come, it will change your life. It's one of the most powerful transitions in our life, and God has called you to leave the old and to adopt uh, and come into your new identity. Now, to help you along with this, last week I talked about um, just a, a tool to use to grow and to meditate on God's Word. I called it the seven-minute spiritual workout. And it's basically just taking a verse, right, and praying first and saying, God, speak to me, show me, teach me, I'm hungry for you. And then taking a verse or just start reading until you see a verse and when that verse sticks out to you, start to make observations about it. What does it say? What's coming out at you? What words mean something to you? And you're meditating on it. And then you start to read it a couple more times. And then you begin to try to memorize it and just let it sink into who you are. And you just spend time thinking about it, praying about it, meditating on it. So I want to challenge you today to discover who you are in Christ. And I know many of us, have done this in the past. But if you're fairly new in your faith, I'm telling you, this, is, this can change your life more than almost anything else I can think of. And so I want to give you a tool. Um, this has been around before, and uh, we've done this, uh, you know, I've passed this out before, but never quite with this emphasis. But we have these little booklets called Who I Am in Christ. And it's just filled with, I counted them, 198 different verses that describe who we are in Christ. I want to challenge you to take one of these booklets and you can stop by the church and get one from us. If you attend church on Sunday morning, you know, we will have these out and giving them away. And just take one verse a day, read the verse, 
read the thought and meditate on that and begin to let it sink in. So we're going to do the first one together right now. Matthew 5, 13. So I'm going to look it up in my Bible. And I want to read this verse. And we're just going to do it together. This is what I'm asking you to do. This is how you grow and change. Is you get into the Word of God, you meditate on it, and you become who God says you already are. And so Matthew 5, 13 says, Jesus is talking. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And so the promise here, again, says, I am the salt of the earth. You're like, I am the salt of the earth. Well, what is Jesus saying? So here's, here we're doing it. I'm doing it out loud with you, as if I was by myself maybe and just thinking about this verse. First thing I did when I, when I looked at this verse is I go down and I look at my, I have a study Bible, so I look at the study notes. Are there any study notes for this verse? And there are. So I'm going to read my study notes. It says, salt, used for flavoring and preserving. Used for flavoring and preserving. Gives a couple other, um, uh, another verse there, Mark 9.50. And then when it says, loses its saltiness, my notes say, most of the salt used in Israel came from the Dead Sea and was full of impurities. This caused it to lose some of its flavor. Okay, so I'm thinking about this out loud, and I'm thinking, so salt is for flavoring and preserving. So if I'm the salt of the earth, Jesus is saying this to me, that he has placed me here to add flavor to the people around me, to life, that my life should be flavorful, and it shouldn't be toxic, it should be <laughs> a desirable flavor, right? I am to be um, adding flavor to the relationships around me and to the way I'm living my life, but also preserving, which is saving, rescuing, adding life to people by also having an edge of truth and an edge of life to, to me to help other people around me, to preserve them. In other words, Jesus is saying that his work in me is going to add life to other people, flavor, and he's calling me to help preserve or be a part of his saving team, his transformation team. And that's pretty powerful. And then he talks about how it can lose its flavor. And the notes there said, you know, the more impurities that you have in salt, the less flavor it has. And so Christ is also calling you and me to live a holy, blameless life, right? He wants to clean us from the impurities so that our life has more of flavor and a preserving power to it than just tasteless salt. Have you ever had tasteless salt? Um, I, I actually have. For some reason, I got a bad batch of salt one time, and it was just a cheap little container, and we, we were on a camping trip, and we just kept putting more and more salt, and it just wasn't making any difference at all. It was like pointless. It was like a placebo salt. You know, It just lacked that flavor. And I think what God is saying here, and Jesus is saying here, is look, you can't be like the world and then have any flavor to you, because the, the flavor is what's different from the world. It's the true truth of your life. It's the, the, um, the, the blessed 
life that you're living in me. It's the difference that you are living in me. You know, all these things that you're coming out of makes you different and flavorable to those who are struggling in brokenness, struggling in life, not walking in peace, not walking in wisdom. It's your peace, your wisdom that comes from God that adds that flavor and preserving power to those around us. So we go to God that he would continue to sharpen us, cleanse us, um, remove the impurities from us, and so that we are distinct and we have that role. And so all of that being said, that's one of 198 verses that I want to challenge you to meditate on and think about and then start to believe it and say, you know what? I am the salt of the earth. Not because I'm something special. I am special, but it's really because of who Christ is in me. I'm in Christ, and in Christ means that I have some value to add to those around me, that I bring flavor, that I bring preserving power, that I walk in purity so that, so that my life stands out and brings glory to God. I hope that blesses you. I hope you take one of these, and I hope you take up my challenge to just take your time. For the next 198 days, you've got enough verses there to last you 198 days. One every day. Do five to seven minutes. Just read it. Think about it. If you have a study Bible, you can read the notes on there. It'll add some perspective. If you don't have a study Bible, save up some money. Try to get one. It'll really help you grow. And our idea here is to become all that Christ has called us to become. To be a new, um, a new creation in Christ Jesus. To get set free from all the old thoughts and ideas and patterns of the past. Become who God has made you to be. And if you don't know Christ, today I want to invite you to, to surrender your life to Him. It is by the grace of God that we are saved. And it's only by receiving this gift that we can walk into new life. That's what makes us new. Not a new, uh, you know, I'm going to try to be a better person, self-promoted, self-righteousness. I'm going to get my act together. That doesn't work. You cannot be forgiven of your sin without the gift of God's salvation to you and to me through Jesus' shed blood. And you need a Savior and I need a Savior. And today, if you want to make Jesus your Savior, pray this prayer with me. All right? It's very simple, but... It, it's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. It's a decision of your will to surrender your life to Him. If that's your desire, pray this with me, okay? But Jesus, today I surrender my life into your hands. Thank you for shedding your blood to pay for my sin. I need you. I surrender to you. And I declare today... Jesus, you are my Lord and you're my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I have the power to live this new life. Set me free from my old lifestyle, my old labels, my old hurt and pain, and help me to become all that you've already made me to be in you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, God bless you. I want to pray this blessing over you and continue to challenge you to meditate on God's word and become who we already are in him. 
And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in his name. Amen. Amen.